Just a couple of verses, verse 13 and 14. I was, I just got back from, from Netherlands. I had an opportunity to finally go back, amen. The nation opened up and uh, I was able to go preach a couple of revivals. And uh, I, I preached in a city called Breda. And while I was there, one night we were over at the pastor's house for dinner and he had invited uh, other pastors and other disciples from his congregation were there having some soup and, and, uh, and some sandwiches. And I'm talking to a young man whom I've known for many years, amen, uh, from, uh, from that congregation. He's a young disciple in the church. And he says, Pastor Martinez, he says, I, I've been looking at your website. He said, and I, I, I noticed that many of the men that you, that are out of your congregation, men that are linked to the Ogden church, they look rough and tough. <laughs> and he said something interesting. He said, they look like real men. <laughs> I think he meant ugly. I don't know. <laughs> Let me just say that I do subscribe to the idea that men really ought to look like men. You ought to look like a man. Not all pierced up. Not with your skinny jeans. Leave those at home. Let your wife wear them. And I'm glad that this young man, this young disciple made this observation. But in all honesty, let me say this, gentlemen. Rather than just looking like men, I would prefer that you would act like men. Because there is a difference. Anybody can look like a man. But can you act? Like a man. Mm. Come on somebody. See the, the problem is that the culture that we live in. Is a culture where ren, uh, gender roles are, are being blurred. By confused people. Confused people. They're confused and they're confusing you. Oh come on somebody. Maybe I shouldn't call myself he or say she or to refer to myself as them. Come on, somebody. And even uh, by the church and, and Christians and even spiritual leaders. The question, amen, tonight is what does it even mean to act like a man? Because I think that there are men in church that are confused about that too. You think that acting like a man means something and it don't mean what you think it means. Oh, come on somebody. And because our culture has portrayed acting as a man in fact as a bad thing. You know, there, there's, a, there's something they call toxic masculinity. 
Like it's, it's a bad thing to be manly. God, where are the manly men? And again, I'm not just talking about looking like a man. I'm talking about acting like a man. And granted, amen, that some men have been poor examples and have wrecked it for some of us, amen. But I have come to the conclusion that it is a difficult thing for me to be a good father, to be a good husband, to be a good son, if I am not first a good man. How can I be a real husband, a real father, if I'm not a real man? If I don't act like a man. And unless we learn what it means to act like a real man first, amen, we're going to be like the rest of the world. And I don't want to be like the rest of the world. God has not called us, amen. God called you and me to come out of them and to be separate. So God's word gives us some incredible insight and it gives us some hope on how we can get back to what it means to act like a man. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, the Bible says, I'm reading the new, uh, the, uh, what is it? Something, New American Standard, I think, or something like that. But it, it's written this way, be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. <clears throat> so I want to talk to you for a moment about acting like real men. See, real men, first of all, are seers. There was a, a brother, a man, that used to be a part of our congregation and oftentimes in conversations, a man apparently wanting to impress with his great knowledge, he would say things like, what a lot of people don't know. <laughs> you know, when somebody starts a conversation like that, they're about to tell you what a lot of people don't know, but they know because they're special. <laughs> Amen. And then he'd go on to describe something that just about everybody knew. Or something that was not true at all. <laughs> but real men, listen to me, gentlemen, are men that certainly do see things that other men don't see. A man of God is a man that has the capacity and the ability and the discernment to see what others don't see. Come on, somebody. Real men are seers. Hallelujah. The Bible says be on the alert. The King James has it this way. Watch ye. 
This word to watch is the Greek word Gregorio and it simply means the ability to watch, to look, to see, to observe. And he's saying, man, if you're going to be a man, if you're going to act like a man, then you need to have the capacity and the ability to see what others don't see, to see what your wife don't see, to see what your children don't see to see things that God wants you to see. Hallelujah. Because there are definitely things as men of God that we must be able to see, gentlemen. Amen. This word, Gregorio, is chock full of meaning. It denotes, first of all, an awakeness. I know that doesn't sound like a word, but it is. You know, this is the woke culture. You got to get woke. The heck does that mean? To be woke. Amen. That means to be well informed politically and culturally. I don't know about all that, amen, because it seems to me uh, like a lot of men are asleep at the wheel. The Bible has called us in Ephesians 5 and verse 14, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give you light. This is what a man of God is supposed to do. You're supposed to be awake. Oh, come on, somebody. You can't be asleep at the wheel. When you're asleep at the wheel, there's coming a crash your way. See, some men sleep and the devil's messing with their family, with their children with their marriage. Mm. Oh, come on, somebody. This word also denotes an awareness. In Ephesians 5, goes on to say, be awake or awake thou that sleepest. Arise from the dead. Verse 15, he says, then, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. This little term, to walk circumspectly, means to be fully aware of your surroundings, to be aware of what's going on around you, to be aware of your culture, to be aware of the devil's strategy, to be aware of where you're children are at to be aware of what's happening in your marriage to be aware of what you're dealing with in your personal life personal awareness of your surroundings that's what real men do amen it denotes thirdly alertness as men of God, we must be alert, warned to the dangers that are at hand, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of those that are under our care. If you're a pastor, you better be alert of the dangers, amen, that lurk in your church. 
If you're a man of God, you better be alert of the strategies of hell against your marriage, against your children, against your home. Amen. You better be alert of the things that you're opening yourself up to. Come on, somebody. Listen, we were just talking about this, I think, this morning, or I can't remember, just recently. When I got rid of my TV, I didn't get rid of my TV because somebody said, it's naughty to have a TV. I didn't get rid of my TV because somebody said, if you want to be in ministry, you can't have a TV. Nobody thought I was a brand new convert. I was sitting at home one day watching TV and all of a sudden I'm just watching a regular show and all of a sudden this big boob hits me in the face. Maybe that's why they call it the boob tube. And I find myself watching something that is not proper for a man of God to be watching. It's right there. This is 1980s television. Now, I wasn't that smart, so I didn't get rid of my TV right away. But a few weeks later, I'm a boxing fanatic, as many of you may know. The TV was on because the TV was always on. I said, it's time to read my Bible. I walked over into my bedroom, picked up my Bible, walked over to the, I was walking over to the dining room where I could sit down and to get to the dining room, I had to walk through uh, the uh, living room where the TV was and there was a fight going on. And I'm looking at the fight and I'm looking at my Bible, I'm looking at the fight and I said, I, I can read the Bible later. And the Holy Ghost convicted my heart. And I became alert to a danger that was lurking. Amen. You know, this is how uh, some, you know, TV is not even an issue anymore. I don't have a TV, Pastor. Yeah, but you got that stinking phone that you can't live without, and you're always on it. Oh, 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 now I'm touching the golden calf. I made a decision. I saw the danger. I was alerted to it. And I said, today, this one-eyed demon will live no more. Amen. This word also denotes an attentiveness or literally to pay attention. Amen. To look at the details. Because how many of you know that the devil is in the details? Amen. Too many men, they just live their lives without considering, amen, the small things. Amen. You've got to consider the Bible says it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. To be so attentive so as not to become sidetracked from the will of God. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 35 talks about attending to the Lord without distraction. Amen. This word also denotes an acuteness. I'm talking about perception or insight, seeing 
ahead of the curve. And I may be sounding a bit repetitive, but I think sometimes we need to hear it more than once. And I said that real men are seers. That's another word to describe a prophet. Is there a prophet in the house? See, this is a question that we must answer. Is there a prophet in your house? Is there a prophet in your family? Is there a prophet in your circles? A prophet is one that sees the future. A prophet is one that comes to conclusions because he sees things not with a world view, but with a spiritual view. Amen. Gentlemen, that's what we are. We're prophets to this generation because this generation needs a prophet, needs men of God who will rise up and will see, amen, what is ahead. We must be able to see what is in store in this possibly final generation. Amen. Secondly, real men, are standers, they stand, amen. I remember many years ago, way back in the 70s, we got into a big old gang brawl. And I remember after every fight, we would have a bragamony service. Right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You, you still have them. And we would stand around and everybody took their turn to talk about what, oh man, I hit him. I can't, man, I did this. And everybody, and we're standing around in a circle and everybody's giving their bragamonia. And finally it came to one of the homeboys that we, we called him Loco Leon, Crazy Lion. And uh, it was his turn. And he just looks at everybody. He says, I got nothing to say. He says, I spend most of the time on the ground. That reminds me of a lot of men in church. You're spending most of the time down on the ground getting beat down. Oh, come on, somebody. In verse 13, Paul says, stand firm in the faith. Stand. Men of God are men that should be standing, not sitting, not laying, not crawling, standing. Oh, come on, somebody. What comes to your mind when you hear or you read that phrase, stand firm? There's two ideas that come to my mind. First of all is the idea of unyielding, amen. The mental picture that we get when we hear this stand firm is that of a debate or some kind of contest in which one opponent refuses to yield or to surrender ground to another. See, some of y'all, amen, were very stubborn in the world. Some of y'all are still very stubborn in stupid things. Oh, you'll fight and argue anybody about your political view. You'll fight and argue anybody about who's the best football team. 
and you won't yield, amen. You won't surrender. Oh, come on, somebody, amen. And this is the picture that it gives us certainly, amen, there is a sense here that we should not yield ground. We have been set free by the power of God. We have been delivered by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, come on, somebody. How dare we fall back into slavery? Amen. See, not an inch of your deliverance should be given back to the enemy of your soul. That's what too many men do. They got no spiritual cojones. Amen. Oh, don't get all stupid on me. We're men. Look around you. Amen. What a tragedy. God has done so much and yet the enemy comes in and you yield to him. You slowly but surely give him a little bit of land at at a time. Oh, come on somebody. See, I've been standing my ground for 38 years. And I ain't budging. I was stubborn in the world. Amen. You had to knock me out with a two by four. And I never listened. Let me say this. Uh, this is my bragamony. Never in all the fights and battles that I had, never, not once did I ever get knocked out. I got hit hard, lost some teeth, cracked my nose. Uh, and I know some of you, oh, I could have knocked you out, Pastor. I don't know. Before you would have gotten close enough, I would have kicked your teeth out of your face. Seriously, we're in the world. We wouldn't yield. Some of you were brawlers. Some of you were rough and tough. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you were a sissy little mama's boy or something. I don't know. But you had your own arenas. Things that you wouldn't surrender. You wouldn't give up to nobody. Hello, come on somebody. Right? Why can't we have that in the kingdom of God? Not an inch of your deliverance should be given back to the enemy. Galatians 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. He says, you've been delivered. You've been set free. The power of God has broken the shackles of your addiction. The power of God has broken the shackles of pornography. The power of God has broken the shackles of bitterness. You're free by the power of God. Amen. Don't yield. Don't go back to the slavery. Second Samuel 23. We read about a homeboy named Shema. Oh, sorry, Shama. I always thought he was Mexican because they're in a, they're in a, in, a, in a battle against the enemy, and he he's uh, he's got a bean field. <laughs> And the enemy's trying to take it. And the Bible says, amen, that he did stand. He stood. Shema stood 
Hallelujah. In the middle of the bean field. And he pulled out his nunchuck. And he does his thing. And he fights them off. And kills them all. He stood his ground. Didn't give up an inch. See, God has given you a lot, my brother. I almost said my sister. The Bible says he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the enemies, the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. The second thing that there is is the idea not only of unyielding but of clinging. Paul uses the same phrase to stand firm six times uh, in the New Testament. And each of those references deals with clinging faithfully to the truth of the gospel. This is what he's saying. Ultimately, this is what Paul is speaking to when he says to stand firm. To hang on, to cling, he says, stand firm in the faith. Cling faithfully to your faith. Cling faithfully to the truth of God's salvation, of God's deliverance. There are so many men that they're up and down because they have, amen, they, they, they absolutely have no assurance of salvation. Why? Amen, because you're not understanding, you're not clinging, you're not hanging on. Every time the devil pushes you away, you get further away from your salvation. You get further away from your deliverance. Talking about clinging faithfully to the truth of the gospel and living our lives that display the truth of the gospel to the world. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, so then brethren stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught whether by word of mouth or by letter. Whatever you've heard, whatever you've read, whatever you've been preached to, Cling to that. Oh, come on, somebody. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, real men stand firm in their faith in Jesus and in the message of the gospel. We're not deluded by the lies of this world, but we do the things that our faith declares. That means, beloved, that our spiritual walk matches our spiritual talk. One man said these words, to stand firm in the faith is not merely to hold strongly to doctrinal convictions, but also and perhaps especially to persist in acting in a way that is consistent with faith in Christ. This leads me thirdly, something else that is pointed out here, real men are strong. Amen. Verse 13, Paul continues, be strong. Again, in, uh, while I was over in, uh, in Holland, I was talking to Pastor Johan Houtman. If you meet Johan, he's the greatest guy in the world. He's tall, skinny, bookish, nerd. Total contrast from me. 
<laughs> and we hung out all week. But here's this man, you know, completely unassuming, never had a fight in his life. He was sharing with me when he was a young pastor pioneering in this particular city. This young teenage boy got saved. And his, his dad found out and was extremely angry. And he told his son, he says, you tell that pastor, I'm going to go and I'm going to rip his throat out. And so this young boy tells uh, his pastor, Johan says, pastor, uh, my dad uh, is threatening uh, and he's a big burly guy. He's the strongest guy in our village uh, and he's talking about coming uh, and, uh, and sure enough, he says one night, man, he rolls up in this big old pickup truck. Uh, now you got to understand this is Holland. In Holland, they don't have pickup trucks like here. You know, here, uh, and if you have a pickup truck, amen, you have a body to match. That's not like here. Some of, you, some of the guys got big old trucks, little tiny little guys get up. It's like they're trying to compensate for something. I don't know. Get a car that fits you, bro. Just saying. But this guy rolls up in a pickup truck, big old monster, comes and knocks on his door, amen, and he's standing there, and Brother Johan, who has never had a fight in his life, he's a bookworm, he's educated, amen, he's very proper, he ministers to this man, confronts him with the gospel, and the man leaves him alone. not an easy thing to do. You got a big old brute that's there to rip your head off. Amen. But Brother Hopman was able, amen, to confront this man by the power of the gospel. Now what did Paul mean when he said to act like men and be strong? Because if he's talking about physical strength, then some of you guys here are in big trouble. Some of you, ha you have to ask your wife to open a jar of peanut butter. Could you open this, honey? Thank God he's not talking about that. Amen. Paul is calling for spiritual strength. Right? Has to do, number one, with courage. Oh, courage is such a wonderful thing that is so needed in our generation, amen. This single word translated act like men is only used once in the New Testament, but it is found several times in the Old Testament, the Septuagint or whatever, however you pronounce it, the Greek Old Testament. And every time that you find this term to act like men, it's literally saying be courageous and this is what it means to be strong to have some courage to have some Holy Ghost backbone come on somebody it means beloved that you stand out and that you be different it means that you do things that aren't easy difficult things it means that it doesn't mean the absence of fear When I was in the world, there was very few things or people that I feared. I'm honest, telling you the truth. I didn't fear very many people. I didn't care how big you were, how many you was, the more the merrier. I was not a fearful person. 
But I got to say, I did have some moments of fear. And even as a Christian, I've had some moments of fear, some moments of apprehension. Some moments uh, where you, you're trying to think it through. Oh, beloved, uh, listen, courage doesn't mean that fear does not exist. Uh, courage doesn't mean the absence of fear. Courage means uh, that in the midst uh, of your fears, uh, you still go through with the will of God. Uh, you still, uh, amen, do what God has called you to. We need men of courage. I appreciate this wonderful fellowship. Men willing to leave everything, leave their homes, leave their families, leave their security, amen, and take a city or even a nation, amen. Means to stand out and to be different. In the midst I preached yesterday about Living for God when the odds are stacked against you. Amen. I shared the story of another pastor that I've known for many years in Holland. His name is Patrick Verplack. Pastor Verplack. In all the years that I've known him, he's been in a wheelchair. Paraplegic, very limited use of his hands. I got a chance to speak to him, amen. We had lunch together and we had a, he asked me about my testimony. I shared with him what God had done in my life and he began to share with me his story. He told me how that at the age of 23 when he was a sinner away from God, he was, uh, they were on vacation. These are wealthy people and, and uh, he was, uh, they were in Portugal and he, he, he dove off a, a cliff, amen, into the ocean without realizing that just beneath the surface was a huge rock. Slammed right into it, broke his neck and his spine and was left a paraplegic, paraplegic and against all odds, amen, this man survived. He thought he was going to drown. He's in the water. He says the next thing he knows, amen, he's on the shore. Somebody's performing CPR. While he was in therapy, amen, somebody witnessed to him. Several years down the road, amen, he gets witnessed to again and walks into our fellowship church in the city of Arnhem gets powerfully saved, meets a young woman by the name of Karen, marries her against all odds, has two daughters, amen, gets sent out and is having revival, amen, right there in the nation of Holland. Here's a man that you cannot say has never experienced fear. Oh, beloved, you know he had fear when he thought he was going to drown. He had fear when he realized he'd never walk again. He had fear, amen, when he understood, amen, what does his future hold? He had fear when he got launched out to pioneer church in a wheelchair. And yet here he is. That's courage. God give us men of courage. This word to be strong has to do secondly with confidence. Listen, strong men are men that humble themselves before God. Strong men are men that receive the correction and the rebuke of their pastor. Don't tell me that you're a man of God. If every time your pastor rebukes you, you start crying like a little wuss. <laughs> oh, come on, somebody. 
Strong men humble themselves enough to get themselves right with God. And let me tell you something, gentlemen. This rightness that I'm talking about is what gives us confidence. The reason men lack confidence is because they're not right with God. When you're right with God, oh, come on, somebody. When you're right with God, when you've gotten thoroughly repentant before the Lord, when you've come broken, humble, and contrite before his presence, I declare to you, this gives you a confidence that can only come from God himself. I'm amazed. Why is it? What holds men back? I got saved, man. I was saved for real. This was, wow. I knew I was right. I knew I was clean. I knew that my sins had been forgiven. They handed me a mic. I started screaming, preaching. Amen. That's what gives us confidence, gentlemen. And that's what courage, that's what being strong means. To be confident. The thing that takes our confidence is sin. When our hearts are not right with God. Oh, you can shout all day long, hallelujah, praise hallelujah. Bless the Lord. You can shout all day. If your heart's not right with God, you're going to have no confidence. When the enemy comes in like a flood, what are you going to do? Oh, come on, somebody. Amen? Remember the seven sons of Sceva? The Bible says they came and tried to cast out a demon. <laughs> they had the formula, but that's all they had. They said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the demon said, well, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who the hell are you? Oh, come on, somebody. You think you can come against hell and your heart ain't right with God? You think you can overcome the devil when you're acting nasty on the side? You think that you can fight the devil off when you're uh, entertaining uh, adulterous and of, uh, 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 immoral thoughts you think uh, that you stand a chance against Satan you're watching pornography you think oh come on somebody yeah, I'm sorry bro ain't gonna work that way man oh well pastor you're condemning me I ain't condemning you fool that's the devil that is able to condemn you rob you of your confidence 1 John 3 and verse 21, the Bible says, Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then we have confidence toward God. But if your heart condemns you, there's a reason why your heart condemns you. And it's hard to have confidence before God. Sin is what weakens us. And it's what takes away our confidence, saints of God. And if we're not confident with God, how can we confidently proclaim Jesus? Amen. Thirdly, this word to be strong has to do with commitment. That word strength is talking about a permanence. Amen? A permanence, kind of like, you know, that crazy glue stuff. It's permanent. Permanent commitments. Amen? This is what a strong man of God is made of. This is what 
a man of God ought to act like. He has a permanent commitment to God, number one. He has a permanent commitment to church. He has a permanent commitment to his wife and to his children. He has a permanent commitment to his ministry. Somebody answer that, please. Let me close. Real men are strong. Finally, real men are sensitive. Well, I can relate to that, Pastor. <laughs> there is a place. Verse 14 says, let all that you do be done in love. Amen, in love. See, love truly is a sensitivity issue. It makes us sensitive. I know, you know, some, some of y'all are, well, that's just the way I am. I'm just hardcore. Then why did you get saved? You know, when the Lord saved us, amen, was to pull us out of that nasty, hardcore life where we didn't care about nobody but ourselves. Amen. We come to Christ, amen, one of the things that begins to operate in our lives is agape love, the love of God, the love of Christ, sacrificial love, amen, because that kind of love is, is what makes us sensitive to needs, it's what makes us sensitive to hurt, it's what makes us sensitive to the lost, it's what makes, it, makes us sensitive to one another. And love, gentlemen, should be the defining characteristic of a real man of God. This is the one thing that will remain. Whatever gifts you may have here on earth. How many of you speak in tongues? It's a wonderful gift to have. How many of you have ever brought interpretation in tongues, uh, of tongues? Maybe you've experienced, amen, the gift of prophecy. Anybody? Gift of the word of knowledge word of wisdom that's wonderful that's powerful but how many of you know that when we get to heaven we're not going to need those gifts anymore <laughs> you're not going to need the word of knowledge because you're going to know everything you're not going to need the prophecy because you're going to be living in prophecy you're not going to lead tongues because you're going to be face to face with the son of God but the one thing that's going to remain is love. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 13. People in Corinth, amen, had been arguing and disputing over who had the greatest spiritual gifts. And in the midst of it, love had gotten lost in the dispute. Some were speaking in tongues and probably disrupting services. Some were prophesying and some were probably still trying to figure out what their gifts were. Others were proclaiming themselves holier than everyone else because of their particular gifts. Paul put them all back in their rightful place. He said, if you speak with tongues, if you prophesy, if you do miracles, whatever, but don't have love, guess what? Worthless. It's worthless, gentlemen. Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. 
I'm not talking about some sloppy agape. Let's hug and kiss. Not what I'm talking about. Don't you come trying to hug and kiss me. I'll punch you in the nose. Go hug and kiss your wife. She needs it more than I do. That's not what that's talking about. Real love, man. Love is sacrificial. Love puts the other before ourselves. Love, amen, puts aside every agenda to press the agenda of God forward. Amen. We're called to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, right? But love we're called to pursue. There's a big difference. Desiring and pursuing are two totally different things. I could sit here tonight. Let's say this was an easy chair, a lazy boy as they call him. Some of you have one of those. Some of you are a lazy boy. And so you pull it out and you got your feet up there and you just, you know, and you can have a desire for many things, right? And you can do that from, from, uh, from your, your, uh, the comfort of your living room or your man cave. You can do it, amen, sitting right there where some of you are sitting right now. You can desire. But the Bible says love must be pursued. And pursuing means going after, chasing after. It's not going to happen on your easy chair. Come on, somebody. We're called, amen, to pursue love. Desiring something is simply a passive occupation, but pursuing something is different altogether. Amen. If you're pursuing something, you'd better be fully engaged or it'll get away from you. That's the truth. Amen. So there's men sitting here right now that just say, oh, God called me to, to preach. God called me to do I'm just waiting for the, I'm just waiting for, for God to come and tap me. I made a decision many, many years ago. I'm going to go, I'm going to chase after the will of God. I'm not going to wait for the will of God to come to me. God has already shown me what his will is. Do you know, let me, let me share something. When I was, before I got saved, I was probably about 18, 19 years old, light years before I came to Christ. And during that time, that age of 18, 19, 20 years old, I was deeply steeped in violence, gangs, addiction, all kind of garbage, in and out of jail, stabbings, shootings, you name it. But I had a mama who was praying for me. I had people who were witnessing to me. And I remember one day, many, many years before I came to Christ, I had a vision. And it wasn't from drugs because I hadn't done any drugs that day. I had a vision. I saw this huge screen before me like a big theater or maybe a drive-in theater. Huge screen. And in this screen I could see a man standing on the platform preaching to a sea of black faces. Then I looked over at the stage and I saw that the preacher on the stage was none other than this handsome stud muffin before you. Rick Martinez standing and I remember I saw that and I, 
I waved it off, said, man, what is that? It freaked me out. Four years later, I came to Christ. 1984. 1995. I got invited to go preach in the nation of Kenya and East Africa. I preached several meetings. I'd taken a camera and had given it to one of the brothers in the church to take pictures so I could take home to my church. I went home, amen, and I, uh, there was a brother in the church that worked in a place that developed and printed pictures. I gave him all the, all the rolls of film. This is before camera phones. When I finally got the pictures back, I'm looking through them, and there's one, amen, that catches my attention. And there's a, a tent filled to capacity and spilled out something like 1,200 Kenyans in that tent. And there's a guy standing on the platform. And I said, man, that's the vision I had. And that guy standing on the platform was Rick Martinez, still just as handsome. Preaching the gospel, the will of God fulfilled in my life. But let me tell you something. It didn't just come to me. I chased after it with everything that was in me. See, when there's love in your heart, oh, come on, somebody. When I met my wife, amen, there was a, I left a, I left a trail between Bakersfield, California and Blythe, California. You could see my, you could see my wheels. You knew they were those at Rick Martinez's car or the Greyhound. Sometimes I took the Greyhound going back and forth. Amen. I pursued what I loved. Amen. Let me close with this little quote. Love is more than an accompaniment of Christian actions. It is the very atmosphere in which the Christian lives and moves and has his being. Men of God, above all things, we need the love of Christ to fill our hearts and to motivate us and as the great apostle said, to constrain us. See, the bottom line is this, gentlemen. Quit trying to look, to sound, to carry yourself like a man and just act like a man. Just act like a man. Act like a man before God. Act like a man in the church. Act like a man to your family. And act like a man before the world. Because we live in a confused world that's forgotten what a real man is. And that's why we're here, saints, to remind the world of what it is to be a true man. And not just any man, but a man of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads.